0: Guys, and welcome back to another podcast episode. My name is Stephanie Garza. I am a certified dog trainer and canine behaviorist in San Antonio, Texas. And I also own Pup Pup in a Way, where we specialize with pet care with the behavioral edge. And I'm here with
1: Maggie. I make stupid jokes.
0: <laughs> Good enough. So today, I feel like we have a lot of puppy episodes, but I feel like there's just so much information to go around with puppies Um, and if you have a puppy, you want to make sure that you're doing everything right. I just really don't want to fuck up my puppy. I know it's really hard not to. (laughs) Um, so our last episode, we talked about puppy mills and how other people might be fucking your puppy on your behalf. Um, but today we're talking about some good exercises to be doing when you bring your puppy home. So Maggie, tell us a
1: little bit about your puppy. Oh, okay. Um, my puppy is about four months old. I got her when she was 10 weeks old. Uh, She was born in my mother's house to a rescue Schnauzer, And then she came out looking like a chihuahua. (laughs) And I bonded with her immediately. I actually uh, went through holding all the puppies when they were about a day old and most of them squirmed in my hands. And I was like, ah, all right, go lay down again. Go see your mom. And she squirmed for a moment and then curled up into a perfect ball in the palm of my hand. And I sat there staring at her for, I don't know, 10 minutes? <laughs> and uh, at the end of it, I could not I could not see my life without her. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and actually, when she was about four weeks old, they started taking deposits. Uh, of course, they don't go home until they're eight or more weeks old. But it was deposit time, and my mom was like, hey, I know you've talked about this puppy a lot, do you want to put a deposit down? And I said, no, no, she should go to a home. I don't know. I don't know if I have enough love to give her. I don't know if I have enough time to give her. I don't know if I'll do it right. No, she should go somewhere else. And she said, okay. And two days later, I was like, ah, just kidding. I want her so bad. I can't stop thinking about her. And my mom said, oh, no, a couple in Dallas uh put a deposit down on her already. So you're too late. And I said, oh, well, sometimes those things fall through, right? And she was like, I guess if these people who are, you know, grown adults and are sure they want this puppy decide they don't want this puppy, you can have her. And I was like, "Mm, okay, okay. All right. That's what's going to happen then. I'm going to manifest it into the universe. These people, for whatever reason, are not going to take this puppy and then she'll be mine. And, uh... She continued growing, and I visited her every once in a while, and I was like, oh, man, if I were to have you, this is what your name would be. And so at five weeks old, I called her Quinn, and at also five weeks old, her real family said, oh, her name is going to be, oh, what was it? I think it may be Sadie, and Hello. uh the most basic of names, <laughs> and uh my parents... Started calling her Quinn. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, Quinn's doing pretty well. And I was like, yeah, I bet she is. She's a she's a good one, that one. And um, she kept growing. And at eight weeks old, a bunch of her siblings adopted out. Uh, and the family that was adopting her had, I don't know, plans or something that weekend. So they were like, oh, we'll do it next weekend. And then we had a freeze. So they were like, well, we can't drive in the freeze. So then she was nine weeks old. And then the weekend they were supposed to come get her, they said, oh, we went through this big family thing. We happened to acquire a few more dogs. We inherited dogs. And we just don't have the room for her or the ability to care for a new puppy at this time. Um, You know, I'm sorry. I hope a wonderful family comes along. And my mom was like, oh, my daughter's taking her. (laughs) And, um actually out of the blue my mom texted me she said you have a life-changing decision to make and I said yes I'll take her please yes put my name down and she goes okay well yeah it is about the dog and you sure you want her I was like yep it's fate it is fate I manifested this give me that puppy and uh then I you know paid my deposit and Purchased my very first puppy, adopted my very first puppy all on my own. All on your own. Did your parents help you adopt Corky? Yeah, I was still in high school. Mm. Um he might have actually been I don't know if we paid for him or not, or like if after, you know, fifteen years of service to this <laughs> to this puppy. rescue he was just kind of you know, forgotten about and <laughs> fell through the fell through the cracks and given to us. Um but also raising Quinn has been completely on my own whereas him uh I was still in high school my mom was stay at home so she did his like potty training and fed him with all the other dogs that we had and then I went to college when he was like a year old or I got him my senior year so it was probably less than a year old I left and she was stuck you know finish raising him and everything but her I live on my own it is me and my three pets. And uh, what, so What? You're an adult? <laughs> I don't believe it any day. <laughs> and uh, so it's it's all up to me. And I think I'm ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I think
0: it's really easy to accidentally ruin things because you have, as a person, just being a person in the universe, you can't control or predict how every experience is going to go and the one time that it ends badly it could have a long-lasting effect which makes puppy socialization a very tricky thing to go through um, but also something that's a huge necessity that everyone has to go through so I think you're going to be, I think this episode's right up your alley because today we're talking about just kind of the first things you should be doing when you bring your puppy home. Some of these things you may have heard of, some of these things you may have tried, some of these things are going to be like, what the fuck, stuff? Why didn't you tell me to do this sooner? <laughs> <laughs> so let's strap in and go for a ride. Um, okay, the first one is trade appropriate objects when your dog is playing with things that you don't need to take away from them so the biggest mistake that i see clients make is when your dog takes your shoes your socks the remote control your wallet your checkbook your glasses whatever it is We give such a big, huge outburst. We have such a big reaction to it, and our dogs think that it's so much fun to get our attention from that. So we have a big reaction. We chase after our dogs, which chasing after our dogs is fun for most dogs if they're comfortable with you. Um, Or we also try to, I'm going to grab treats and bring them to my dog
1: in an effort to trade, right? Yeah, I feel like it's old-fashioned to chase after your dog. Everybody's like, oh, no, we don't do that. We give them something that they should have and trade it out. It's like, oh yes, I've learned this. This is the good thing to do. That's that's a great point. A lot of my
0: clients will say, I I bring them other things instead. And I'm like, okay. But now you're building a secondary type of reinforcement there. When your puppy's chewing on something that you don't want them to have, you're bringing them gifts. (laughs) You're bringing them treats. You're bringing them toys. You're bringing them a bunch of different things. So what I would like for clients to do is build up the skill of giving things up when you don't need your puppy to give it up. So you're not creating a reinforcement history behind, go take that shoe and I'll bring you things, but instead when your dog is chewing on the regular toy, go up to your dog, ask for a leave it, give them a treat for that, give them their toy back. Um, so you're not needing to get something away, so your reaction is not a big ah! reaction, um, but you're also building a value in, In having things in their mouth that you are okay with them having in their mouth. So then typically what we go into when I'm having this conversation with clients is ignore when they have something that you don't want them to have. But they're destroying it. Sometimes that's impossible. One time I literally saw a dog pull a razor out of the bathtub (laughs) in the middle of my lesson. That one was really hard to ignore. But you saw him look at us and put the razor down. Look at us pick the razor back up like because we weren't watching we wasn't chewing on it so i was like i know this is really scary to do but just ignore it after all he literally put it down and walked away um what happens to sometimes if you accidentally put a reinforcement history behind taking things for your shoe your shoes for example you don't want to chew your shoes so you give them this big reaction then you start ignoring them the behavior is going to get worse before it gets better And uh, we have a client who, um, he's a a doodle and I love him so much. But he got good at grabbing things like kitchen towels and shoes and then taking them into the office where mom was working. Nudging her with his nose and then showing him what he had gotten. Showing her what what he had in his mouth. And usually it resulted in, ah, don't do that in a big, huge thing. So I told her, ignore it. And she was like, okay, I started to ignore it. And then one day he grabbed my chimney shoes, and then he she had she had a huge fit over that, and I was like, "You told him that there are specific things that have extra value, so now you taught him how to go and seek those specific things. So when we have a reward history behind something like this that you don't want, and then we go cold turkey with the reinforcement history, meaning your dog's used to grabbing shoes, he's used to getting your attention, you stop giving him the attention." The behavior is always going to get worse before it gets better. He's going to start to realize, how me bringing you this shoe doesn't work? Okay, let me go grab you this. Let me go bring you this instead. And he's going to find something unbeknownst to him. He's going to find something that really gets your attention. Then he's going to realize, I just have to go into that secret compartment of the closet to grab whatever it is. Or he's going to continue to keep search. He's going to learn to continue to keep searching for different things to bring you. To have that reaction. Because all he wants in that moment isn't to chew on the shoe. It's to get your
1: attention. But what if it is to chew on the shoe? It typically isn't. Okay, but like my puppy has grabbed shoes and just started like taking the sole out of it. Mm-hmm. And I just ignore her while she literally ruins my shoe.
0: Okay, so when you go through those sorts of situations where you're like, okay, if I don't intervene, you're going to eat something, you're going to get sick, right? What I would do in those moments is find something that's more interesting than the shoe. What I mean by that is maybe you open your back door and walk outside. Your dog is going to be like, oh, there's something else going on. Let me go with you. So she makes the decision to leave the shoe on her own. You create a diversion in some sort of way, but she left the shoe, right? So then you can go outside, close the door really quickly, go inside, grab the shoe, put the shoe up, and let your puppy back in. Um, oftentimes I'll have people sure maybe you do go grab one of their toys but instead of you taking the toy to them and be like look what I have and come trade this for me instead maybe you go into the other room you squeak the toy you pretend ah, ha ha, you're having a, a big huge party on your own I want your puppy to think what's going on over there I think I want to go see what's going on over there and they make the decision to leave the shoe themselves Make them think it's
1: their choice. Make them think it's their choice, <laughs> absolutely. It's kind of a, a weird... Reverse psychology type of... Yeah. Thing. Yeah,
0: but also the biggest thing, too, is practice the skill when you don't need for them to leave what they have. Build up this skill because when you're when you're only working through the situation when you need your dog to leave something, you're also building a reinforcement history behind between, uh, behind having that one specific thing. Right. So if they're chewing on their regular toy, and you ask for leave it and trade a different toy, well, that's different. Or if you do the same things but then reward a the dog for letting go of that, then you're building a your reinforcement history, when you don't need your dog to do it. So that way, your dog's learning. Oh, I just go grab a regular toy
1: instead of going and grabbing my shoes. Okay, but then what's the point of teaching them when you don't need to if you never use it when you do need to?
0: That's the offset. So you're kind of thinking about it, and we'll talk about this in other situations too. You're building up your piggy bank using like practice situations so then that way when you need to cash in on the behavior in a real life scenario you're not accidentally building up bigger reinforcement history behind the negative behavior that you don't want because you built up your piggy bank of the reinforcement history on an under circumstances
1: that you didn't mind your dog having it but didn't you just say i'm not supposed to trade my a toy for my shoe anyway ever
0: i am saying that you're building up the mentality of your dog
1: being okay with letting things go okay so it's just like learning a better leave it learning a leave it in a different scenario
0: yes i think st- okay maybe that's maybe that's the biggest disconnect here i think while you're in, in the okay when you're teaching a leave it and you're teaching your dog what leave it means you can't rely on what leave it is in a real life scenario unless you've worked up the distraction level to be able for your dog to have good compliance in the real life scenario. Right? Yep. Okay. So what that means is while your dog's learning to leave it in real life and not just in the training situation, there's going to be times when you have to have your dog let go of those things. So until your dog learns how to leave the shoes and the forbidden objects, you're also still building the behavior of letting things go when you don't need your dog to let those things go because they're appropriate things for dogs to let go, right? And so while you're building these things up, then what ends up happening is you're finding a better way to manage the real-life scenario while your dog can learn to do the behavior in the real-life scenario, and then when you really – when your dog does know how to do that thing in the real life scenario, then you can now effectively ask for a leave it instead of trading. Got it. So we're trying to get rid of the trading part, not necessarily the asking for an, a different behavior. Does that make sense? Are you disagreeing
1: with me? Cause you little bit of well, lost me. I, I, I feel like you're, it's two different things that you're teaching together. Like mm-hmm. the leave it, or the trading things for other appropriate trading, appropriate things for appropriate things is working on a leave it, learning a leave it, uh, learning a different way to use leave it's like, it's all very focused around leave it and good behaviors and almost has nothing to do with the shoe because you're not using that trading scenario for the shoe. I think it's the opposite. So you want to be able to
0: teach your dog specific words that mean specific things, right? That's the whole purpose of training. So you can have a very specific cue that has a very specific, I expect for you to follow up with this behavior, right? But in a real life scenario, okay, so let's talk about the difference between a training scenario and a real life scenario, especially with something like leave it because it's a very structured, you see me putting treats on the ground, you see me formulating the situation and the object of which I want you to leave in a training scenario, in a real life scenario, your dog went to your closet, pulled your shoe out. You didn't create that. So the context of a training scenario is very different from the context of that real life scenario when your dog has the shoe, right? So because you haven't built up the reliability of the behavior behind the leave it in a training scenario, yet you can't rely on it in a real life scenario when your dog has the shoe, right? So you're building up what leave means to eventually use that in the real life scenario, but you also need to do some work to generalize leaving things alone when you have things on your own. For example, when your dog picks up their toy and chews on that instead, right? So you can try to leave it in that situation. I wouldn't rely on it, but instead maybe you're building up the value of leave something and I'll give you something when it's not something that you need to
1: get from your dog yeah yeah does that make sense I feel like people are gonna listen to this and be like this Maggie's an idiot I (laughs) I understood (laughs) I understood what she was saying right away why does she keep asking but there might be people who are like I don't understand either which is the whole point that you're bringing the client perspective to this The two just seem unrelated. If you're teaching this thing and like filling up a piggy bank, Mm -hmm. but then you're never cashing it in, cashing in the piggy bank, Mm -hmm. it seems like two completely unrelated things that you're telling us. Like this, you don't ever trade in for a shoe. Mm -hmm. Then why am I trading in to begin with practicing trading in? I guess that makes sense. You're practicing trading in just because it's a good thing to know to trade in and it's a good thing. It's a good, different way to come at leave it, and right. it's a good thing for your dog to be able to give stuff up. Right. But you're never going to use that to as your only device to uh, get your dog okay. to leave something. Okay,
0: yeah. I think I think the biggest thing is when you when your dog has something. We spent twenty minutes on this one topic. When you, when you have something that, you're, that you don't want your dog to have, you giving emotional response or you bringing your dog's treats to trade or other objects to trade continues to build up a reinforcement history of your dog having the inappropriate objects. But I still think it's a good, um, a good skill to have in trading other things but not only doing it when it's something that you need to get away from your dog.
1: And also never doing it when it's something you need to get away from your dog.
0: Sometimes it has to be a last resort. There we go. Okay, does that make sense? That's when I cash in my piggy bank. Sure, that's when you cash in your piggy bank. When it it really is the razor blade. And okay, maybe in that situation, had that dog been chewing on that razor blade in the middle of my training session, you bet your bottom ass I'm gonna go do something about it. (laughs) I'm going to go do something about it and not just, God damn, I hope he doesn't chew off his Got you. And at that molar. point,
1: he is so used to trading for good things and it's not a big deal. And right. It, okay. Right. Okay. That right, Next topic.
0: Good.
1: I'm glad that we
0: went through that rabbit hole for 20 minutes. And thank you for enduring it if that's what happened for you. I'm sorry if she didn't cut that whole thing out. I'm not going to. We'll just see what happens. If we see that the the play marks drop after 2005, we know exactly what happened. Man, these
1: podcasts really went downhill since Maggie got on here.
0: (laughs) Okay, next one. Food bowl exercises. The biggest thing that I see people do is they want their dog to get used to people being in their food bowl. Um, so they'll do really inappropriate things around the food bowl. Like if your dog's eating, I'm going to go and stick my hands all up in the food bowl and just pray that you don't have a negative reaction. Or I'm going to go and take the food bowl away from you while you're in the middle of eating. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to push you away from your food bowl while you're eating.
1: I'd say this is another thing that like, oh, we're so woke now. We know to desensitize our dog by putting our fingers in the food bowl The internet has taught me this.
0: Yeah, but it also can create a frustration. I, this is one of those things when, I think a couple episodes back, we talked about canine consent, which very sadly doesn't have as many listens to as some of the other episodes, which makes my heart really sad because I think canine consent is actually a really decent topic that everyone should consider. But if you were to stick your hands in my food, I'd also be really pissed off at you. So what ends up happening As your dog might have neutral responses to you doing this, but after some time, because now you're being a big pain in my ass and because every time you're next to me while I'm eating, you stick your grubby hands in my finger or you stick your grubby hands in my bowl, now I'm going to start to have negative reactions. You don't build good behaviors by only putting your dog through the stressing situation without having
1: something to counteract the negative behavior. So can I put my fingers in their bowl, and then give them a piece of chicken?
0: Kind of. Well, I would start off even slower than that. I would, if you're gonna have to walk by your dog, toss a piece of chicken in their bowl and then keep moving without you having to put your hands in their bowl. I want your dog to think when you come by nothing but good things happen. I don't have to endure a little bit of something and then get something good from you. It's something neutral that only ends in a positive. Not something that's neutral that now you keep doing this now I'm frustrated and and annoyed by you or something that you did and then you kind of try to make it better by giving me a piece of chicken for it. Okay. I want your dog to think instead, I really like it when you come next to my food bowl because you only put chicken in my bowl. Yeah. And then eventually you can work your way up into, now I touched your bowl, now I gave you a piece of food, maybe, maybe I did stick a finger in, my, in your bowl and then I gave you a piece of food. But the other half of the situation that we have, or the conversation that we have to talk about is, why do you feel the need
1: to do this for your dog anyways? So when I have a baby and my baby is sticking their fingers in my dog's bowl, my dog doesn't rip their hand off.
0: Great, uh, great thing to say. Also, how about we think about management? How about we think about putting your dog in maybe a gated area? How about we think about putting your baby in a high chair when your dog is eating? There's other ways that we can consider doing those things without causing that stress to begin with. Cool. Yeah? Good topics. Okay. That one wasn't as hard. Not as hard. (laughs) We got through that in three minutes. All right puppy class. Um, you guys have also heard me talk about puppy classes before, so we'll go through this pretty quickly, but what should you look for when you're in a puppy class? It's safe and it's clean. Um, the numbers aren't that big. Um, my puppy classes are usually between eight to 10 puppies, but it's usually myself and at least one other assistant. Um, so relatively small numbers. Um, it focuses both on socialization, play and training. So it's a little bit of everything. Um, I think socialization and play are a little bit different I think your dog learning how to play with another dog is developing play skills and then socialization is your dog learning to be around people dogs sounds different textures different stimuli in the environment without having a negative effect
1: exposure to different exposure things.
0: yeah yeah so it focuses on a bunch of different things um another one is it doesn't overwhelm your dog um this one's been a lot harder for me as a trainer to manage in a puppy class since we've been getting you know pandemic puppies um but typically when i'm walking into a puppy class and i'm seeing a dog have you know be a little bit more reserved um one thing that you want a good dog trainer to do is to adjust either the level of activity that we're doing for you and your dog or to adjust the environment in some sort of way to make things easier for your dog, or at least to be able to talk to the parent through that. Um, and so like one thing, for example, is if I have a puppy who's like hiding under a chair. I'll go up to that person. I'll talk to that person about how to protect that dog's space, make sure that they're um, physically putting themselves in between their puppy and another puppy who wants to come say hi if their puppy's having a negative reaction, being nervous or being scared, not to force the puppy to go say hello to per- to a dog. So like don't grab them by the collar and pull them into the center of the room. Um, so it shouldn't overwhelm your puppy, but also your trainer should be able to help you adjust the training sp- exercise to what you're looking for. Um, and one that doesn't specifically put your puppy in scary situations, they should all be pretty neutral. So I once heard this one story of this other person who did puppy classes and, um, she would have her pup, her, her clients put on big scary hats and big things that puppies want, are not used to seeing puppy socialization starts in neutrality right if your dog's not having a reaction to and you're only building positive things from like the food bowl right you're not having a bad reaction to it i'm just building good things from it that's puppy socialization puppy socialization is not you're recognizing that your dog's having a meltdown and then you're forcing your dog to interact with it and just quote unquote get over it right and so this person's story of her puppy class was everyone was wearing these big crazy things big glasses big hats big hoodies making lots of noise they had noisemakers and the handlers of the puppies were expected to give a treat, take a step closer to that person that was ca- wearing all the crazy things and the and the crazy noises. No matter what the puppy's doing, just give a treat, move forward. Give a treat, move forward. Give a treat, move forward. So you would think that you know giving a treat is good, and it's not going to end by this person killing my puppy or having or hurting my puppy. But the emotional trauma that your puppy's experiencing in that moment is already enough for your dog to have a negative reaction. So a lot of this is actually. Building value in maybe not quantity, but quality of your reactions. I'm sorry, not your reactions, your interactions. So if something's neutral, we let it be neutral. Maybe we just toss in a couple of treats into that and then we don't force your puppy into something more.
1: That makes sense? It does. I'm thinking about other classes I know and trying to figure out if they are good or bad in your eyes. (laughs) it uh okay
0: well let's talk about that a little bit what are some of the other things that you've experienced in a puppy class
1: um like we have themed this this theoretical class Mm -hmm. has themed days yep so one of them would be like sounds and we'll play sounds Mm -hmm. and the puppies will originally be startled but we treat the hell out of them and you know it's just like a split second of the sound Mm treat 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 wow that was so great Give them a second, and then play the sound again. Treat, 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 treat. And as we play the sound over and over, give them, you know, time to recuperate. Mm-hmm. By the end, by the, you know, I don't know, tenth time we're playing the sound, the puppies don't react that much anymore. Yeah. And I've always thought of that as a very positive experience, or like a okay. a, a, very, a good example of socializing them to these sounds.
0: Gotcha. Am so I that's wrong? Uh, so that's something called habituation. Habituation is when you experience a certain stimuli over and over and over again, and you realize that there is neutrality in there. Um, and we try to do – one big time that we try to habitualize to a specific stimuli is like the doorbell.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right now, the doorbell is super sensitized because every time they hear the doorbell, something crazy happens on the opposite end of that portal. The portal opens, and there's either a friend or a foe on the opposite side, right? But if you ring the doorbell enough and nothing ever happens, so it's neutral – The dog learns to not really care about the doorbell. How I would do that differently is instead of playing the sound and letting the puppies have the initial startle reaction to it, I would play the sound softly. Let's go ahead and start giving treats. No one's having a negative reaction, but we're giving treats. As the sound plays, and I think it probably depends on what the sound is, right? If it's a a quick sound like a doorbell, you have to do repetitions of the sound. But if it's a sound like the sound of rain, right? That's something you can have on a loop. You start it off on a low setting where who knows Maybe I don't even know if the puppy can actually hear it, but I'm still giving you treats. I'm not seeing any negative reaction. So I'm going to start making it louder. I'm still giving treats, not seeing any negative reaction, make it sound even louder. And I wouldn't continue going until I see a negative reaction. I would just probably go for like, I'm going to make it to like level three and then stop. Okay. And then the next time you do it, maybe start level two then you hit your level three, your four, and your five, and then you stop, right? So you're never putting your dog into the situation of where you have a negative response to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to do. And the reason why we have to be so careful is because of the periods that we talked about in the beginning. When When your dogs go through that fear period, one fuck up that you do in your socialization period, one negative experience that your dog has... Could have a long term effect. I did that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> has that. Quinn probably has that too. Said that so. I'm so sure I did it. <laughs> it's
0: it's a thing. We accidentally do it, right? Because we I don't know if everyone has experienced this because I feel like I experience all these topics because I am a dog trainer, but there is a list that goes around with You should have your puppy meet 100 people by the time they're this month old and you should have them meet a person with a beard, a person with glasses, a person with beanies, a person with a sweatshirt, a person with a jacket, a person with boots, a person with all these small things. And you're like, holy shit, I have so much to do that you're more focused on getting it done and not really focused on the quality in which you're doing it. the idea behind puppy socialization isn't to have your dog meet every single stimuli under the sun the purpose of it is to introduce your dog to something new it only ends in good things so that way your puppy learns new things are fun not new things are scary so then that way when your dog encounters new things they have a better maybe now they have a startle response just because that's what ends up happening as we get older but they bounce back from that startle response a lot quicker that make sense yeah, that was. <laughs> I feel like that was a little bit not that that
1: was a hard one for you to grasp at all, but I felt like that was a lot of good good talks about. It's yeah, I it's it's easy to grasp, and I really liked you telling me, you know, maybe this is how you would do it better. Mm-hmm. But just because I have this experience with somebody who did it differently, mm-hmm. I I really like to hear your point of view, um, on how you would do it and how you know.
0: I also think that. The recent pandemic has really set a different tone to how I experience, or how I have my clients experience puppy socialization in my group classes. And that's kind of one of the things that I'm experiencing or playing around, experimenting with in your puppy class since you have Quinn in my puppy class. So years ago, we would do something called pass the puppy. Everyone sits in a circle, you have your puppy, you touch an ear, you give a treat, you touch another ear, you give a treat, you pass the puppy. With this puppy, you touch a paw, you give a treat, you touch the other paw, you give a treat, pass the puppy. No one was having any adverse reactions to being handled by a new person. No one did. Now I'm finding that at least one dog out of my group of eight is having some sort of meltdown when they meet a person.
1: Quinn, I'll point out right now that yeah. Quinn is having a meltdown in the room. Yeah. She, for whatever reason, hates the room that we have this puppy social in. She shakes, has a panic attack, and then falls asleep. Yeah. Shuts down from it. Yeah. And what's so great about this class is that Stephanie is able to adapt to us, and she says, "Okay, just focus on making this as least stressful as possible for Quinn. Mm-hmm. Give her attention, give her rewards. Um, don't focus on the training. You know, I'll send home homework for you. You can work on this stuff in like a, a environment she's comfortable with. You can learn these traits later." for now, just focus on um, how you can help her get over this fear that she's experiencing.
0: Yeah, and I think having a trainer who is sophisticated enough, and it's hard. It really is hard to make adjustments to the exercise for one or two people versus the entire class. So you have to have someone who's willing to say, and for a good reason, like, I think it's a good idea that you do not participate in this exercise Or I think you should participate in this exercise, but you're gonna do it differently. Which is kind of what I did with a couple of puppies in the the puppy class that you had. So we did attempt to pass the puppy because most six out of the eight dogs look like they we were happy to meet other people, um, but I had the way that those two puppies specifically got passed around the circle be different, meaning the parents went around the circle with the puppy, and also the criteria of what it is that they should be doing was different. So all the other puppies are working on a sit for a stranger, um, not with mom or dad being passed along with them. These puppies were just having treats tossed to the puppy, Even further away than the puppy is from the person without the person having to say hello to them or touch them or do anything like that. So, we try to find a way to water down the trigger. But I don't know if that's something that I could realistically sustain long term in every puppy class, especially if I had more than two puppies who were having a meltdown. Also, both of these puppies I've already had some sort of private lesson with, or I've already had some sort of conversation about your dog has some stranger danger issues already. So that's puppy class. We got a a couple more to go through. (laughs) Okay, the the next one is prepping for handling and grooming. Um, I think that bath time is one that a lot of people struggle with. And I think that nail trim time is another thing that people have a lot of issues with. I think that you can always find a way to water down the exposure of the experience so for example will talk about bath time don't give your dog a bath and also just try to placate your puppy by putting in a licky mat or smearing peanut butter on your wall right take it once at a time maybe you feed a couple of dinners or meals in the bathtub when the water isn't running and you're not needing to give your dog a bath so you're just creating a positive experience with the environment first right then maybe you can do something like you have your puppy in the bathroom not in the bathtub specifically but you have the sound of the running water on while your dog is doing something enjoyable like eating their meal or having a long-lasting chew or playing a game um because i think that the sound of the running water is just enough to kind of freak your dogs out a lot um Then we go for maybe your dog has maybe an inch or two of water but the water isn't running and now you've put their meal in the water. So now they're like splashing around the water and like bobbing for their treats. Before You're doing all of that before you actually need to start bathing your dog. So you're kind of breaking down the exposure there. Um, When it comes to nail trimming time, you want to do some desensitization. Maybe not even desensitization because desensitization means that you're trying to de- sensitized which means your dog already has a sensitization too but once again you're always starting with everything neutral in these situations so maybe you have the clippers around your dog while they're eating their meal just on the ground or maybe you have the sound of your electronic file going while your puppy's eating we are not trying to touch your dog with the clippers or the file you're not trying to touch your dog to begin with you're just creating a positive association to the sound or the sight of the tools right they're also doing things like I'm touching my puppy and then I'm treating or you're touching your puppy and treating at the same time. I think that one's even more important. So you're not touching the paw, stopping the touch and then treating. You're touching the paw and treating at the same time. When you let go of the paw, the treat stop. So there's a direct correlation of you're treating while you're holding onto the paw. So your dog knows exactly. I like you when you touch my paw because I get food while you're touching my paw, not I have to endure you touching my paw, but when you stop is when I get my treat. Because there's almost like a double relief there. Does that make sense? hmm Okay. Um, so then from there, you never, once again, you always want to water down the exposure enough to where your dog is not having a negative reaction to what you're doing. So I once had a client that we were working on ear desensitization because she was already sensitized to her ears being touched and she was like oh yeah she's doing great with it I can touch her ears and she's touching her ears but her dog's already like flailing around and kind of mouthing but it was a much better reaction than what she was getting before and I was like your dog's still having a negative reaction to it but now you're adding treats on top of it so now you're almost reinforcing your dog for having the negative reaction right? So instead, maybe you just touch a tip of the ear and treat. And once your dog is always okay with that, then you work your way up the ear a little bit more. Once your dog is always okay with that, then you always move forward. And so sometimes when we're talking about paws, for example, because paws are a big one, maybe you have to first go all the way up with your hand, all the way up the leg on the shoulder. While you're touching, give treats, stop touching, stop treating. Once your dog is always okay with that, they're not stiffening up, they're not having, they're not turning their head towards you in an effort to put their mouth on you. Once it's always 100% consistently comfortable for your dog, then maybe you move an inch down and you work there and you treat while you're touching and you stop treating when you stop touching. Once again, when you have no negative reaction consistently, then you move your way down and down and down and down. So don't make the task more difficult until your dog has proven they can handle that. Does that make sense? Yep. And I think it's really important for us to do that before you need to trim your dog's nails for the first time or before you need to put ointment in your dog's ears for the first time because now they have an ear infection for whatever reason. Um, Because when you're training something like this, Number one, your dog already being in pain with you touching their ears is now also a sensitive period to where your dog's having that negative reaction to begin with, but also because you have to get fluids or ointment down into your dog's ear, you're always ending that experience with something negative happening, right? So you want to build up the value of having your dog being touched and having nothing but good consequences happen before you need that to happen. Have you been doing any desensitization or handling grooming exercises with Quinn?
1: Um, One time when I was sitting on the couch, I was like, oh, I should be petting her feet, too. And that's it. Okay.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's just good to, like, not create a special circumstance around specific things, too. Yeah,
1: I would call it, like, passive... Not desensitization because yeah. she's not sensitized to it. What do you call desensitization? Like passive socialization.
0: You mean when she's not already having a negative effect? Yeah. What do you call that? Just a positive association.
1: Okay. Desensi- I would call it a passive association though. Because I'm like not doing it for training purposes. Right. I'm not treating for it. I'm just doing this really casual thing. Right. That she doesn't mind yet. Yeah. And I'm teaching her, you know, nonchalantly that hey, this is cool too. Right. I think that's good because
0: when we give too much, when we make certain situations happen around very specific things, your dog is going to be like, why are you pulling the treats out? Are you going to be touching me in my no-no places? Like, you know, that kind of creates that sort of uh, mentality. Um, But also considering that the way that you pet, because I've also had clients come up to me and tell me this, they're perfectly fine with me touching their paws, but they just know when I'm giving them a nail trim because you hold their paw way differently when you're about to give a nail trim versus when you're just petting. Or maybe you have some sort of nervous reaction in yourself because you're afraid that you're going to clip your dog. So there's maybe some sort of, like, internal stress that your dog is recognizing from you. Or maybe you got the treats out this time. So that's another, like... Like, my dogs know when I'm about to do something with them as soon as they hear the tub that opens up, like, that I keep their stuff in. Like, their... Um, Sully even got used to the cabinet itself. He knows that one specific cabinet. You're going to open that. I know what's in that. Um, so sometimes because we are too careful with it, we can create the the antecedents the the small things that trigger our dog to
1: ah shit. It's bath time. So sometimes you have to be careful with that. All right, I'm pretty sure Quirky has X-ray vision because I will put the nail clippers in my pocket. And walk into the room super casually. Uh And he'll be like, oh no, fuck this, I'm out. (laughs) I'm like, dude, I haven't... How could you possibly know? It's like, oh, you're walking with a little bit of a limp on that side. (laughs) I know, your pocket is a little heavier. They're
0: smart, dude. They're super Ah. smart.
1: Should have known. Should have
0: known. Alright. I like this one a lot. Um, Because as puppies, we don't see a lot of behaviors that we're trying to get rid of. Right. Um, Instead, we are finding the absence of behaviors eventually lead to our dogs having, let's just say reactive behaviors because that's the example that we're going to talk about. And then we start training in that moment. Okay. So treat for non-reactive behaviors. Or the absence, so sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. I think uh, one of my words left my, my spreadsheet. Treat for the absence of non-reactive behaviors. No, that was right the first what? time. <laughs> We've been recording for too long. Treat for the absence of reactive behaviors. When situations arise during normal reactive moments. Okay, so you're, a lot of dogs are reactive in the car. Right when they see something on the outside of the car, they're on the inside. There's a person. I'm gonna bark, or um, on the walk. If your dog's on the walk and they see a person across the street, maybe they're gonna be reacting by barking and lunging and and whatever. Or maybe behind windows at the house. Right. Those are for me three big common places where I see dogs create behaviors that we're trying to get rid of. Right. Mm -hmm. As your as a puppy, your dog might not have those reactions. So treat your dog and reinforce your dog for not having those reactions and not in the first place. And don't only start your training once they start being reactive. Okay. Okay. Um, So if you have a puppy and they look out a window and they just saw a, a dog pass by and they were just looking, by God, reinforce that. If you're on a walk and your puppy just saw a little old lady crossing the street, she saw it and she didn't bark at it, reinforce that. If you're sitting in puppy class and your dog is not barking to the other dog that just barked across the way, reinforce that. Reinforce your dog for not having big reactions, even though you're... Sorry, I got distracted by a little pop-up on my um, phone. Um... Be reinforcing your dog for the absence of behaviors that you're going to eventually possibly be trying to train out of
1: them. Which is kind of what we talked about, what we've been talking about for 45 minutes. <laughs> train train them that seeing these clippers, that they don't know what the clippers are yet, right, gets them a treat. Right. Yeah. Treating that... Um, hearing this little sound that isn't very scary gets them a treat. And then later it becomes a louder sound and they can yeah. treat for that too. You're right. A lot of this is treating and rewarding and the neutrality of stuff. Maybe your dog
0: doesn't have a super positive, like maybe they're not sitting for the person. Maybe they're just standing for the person and you would like for your dog to sit, but maybe you should just be happy that your dog's
1: not barking at the person. Yeah. I feel like one of the hardest things about, oh, I don't know, all of this <laughs> Is uh, being able to tell what are going to be problems in the future. Right. Like, I can see that. I can, I can pet my dog's feet and work on tr- nail trims all the time. And I can do the grooming stuff all the time. And then the first time I'm to the vet, I'm like, oh, my God. I was supposed to desensitize them to the vet, too. Yep. And I feel like there's just, like, everything they will ever encounter in their life Ideally, you would do this slow introduction, give tons of treats, and you just can't prepare for all of that.
0: You're definitely right. You definitely can't prepare for everything, but I think the more that you set up this mentality and this training style, building rewards around the neutrality, helps your dog learn to experience new things that, shit, I didn't think about that, but your dog can take it, and take it with a smile because, hey, I don't mind when new things, novel things happen because typically I know how to work through it better than creating my own coping mechanisms like the barking and the lunging, which is very common for dogs to do because it's
1: just very common doggy behavior. Yeah, just kind of making a generalized positive reaction to new things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know you're hungry. I'll feed you in a second. I'm very sorry. Okay. We have three more. And I think a lot of these are kind of reiterating a little bit of some so. of the things that we talked. Um, it says we can a maximum recording of 60, 60 minutes. We have 12 minutes left on I this, on this session. I read it wrong. Okay. Um, okay. Let's talk about really quickly bringing your puppy home. It could be a very pretty big traumatic experience for your puppy just to simply come home. Before you do anything else, just the the small act of coming home could be a lot. Number one, they no longer have their mom. They no longer have their litter mates. Um,
1: they're in a car for the first time. They're like,
0: yeah, fuck yeah, they're in a car for the first time. Maybe they've met a couple of other people, but you are a whole brand new different person. Holy shit, I'm going home with you. I have no idea who the fuck you are. Um, so new people, new smells, new experiences. Maybe you're trying to put your dog in the crate for the first time. Well, not only is it the first time that they're being in a crate, but this is the first time that they're being completely left alone they've had a whole litter of other puppies to be with they've had mom to be with um so the whole thing in itself is just a lot of really big newness that your puppy might not be fully equipped to deal with gracefully right so not only is it a new experience for your puppy but it also could be the first time that they're lonely so um just having grace while you're going through that keeping that in the back of your mind while you're going through that um take things slowly with your dog don't go home put your dog in the kennel for the first time and leave for six hours on their very first night that they're there um maybe you want to do something like try to bring home a blanket that the breeder has so that way they still have some sort of smell i've heard of people having these little stuffed dogs where they warm up and they have like the sound of a heartbeat snuggle puppy is that what they're called i think so i have no idea if they work but shit, it's worth a shot um, can't hurt if anything, if your dog chews it up, no biggie, as long as they don't eat it. Um, I think also like a puppy DAP collar, an Adapto collar at this point might be a good idea just to give your dog a little bit of extra help in dealing with that somewhat traumatic experience of coming home. For you guys, for you and Quinn, I don't think that was a big, huge thing because she was used to you. She knew you. Um, I think one I interesting just thing. just like my mom. i just wish
1: that you guys could see this
0: like the 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 seriousness on maggie's face when she says some of these (laughs) things oh my god um one thing too is like if you're if your breeder or whatever wherever you're buying your puppy from um is close around maybe you go meet your puppy a couple of times before you bring the puppy home or different things like that um could have really big effects okay next one know your rules never let your puppy do what you wouldn't want your adult full-grown dog to do Um, this is easier for dogs who might be small and a lot harder for dogs that are going to be really big later on Um, but if you don't want your full-grown great dane to be on the furniture when they're full grown don't allow your puppy to do it now Um, if you build up a reinforcement history behind these behaviors just because they're small and it's more manageable doesn't mean that those means that you're building a reinforcement history behind behaviors that are going to be harder to break later on because now you have a reinforcement history behind those behaviors cool yep cool i'm glad, I'm glad that one was nice and easy so think of different things are you going to allow your puppy on the furniture are, are you going to allow... be able to
1: pick this dog up and do get him in the car move him yeah. away from this move him away from that i see a lot of people pick up their puppies and yeah uh, a trainer i know says hey Will you always be able to do that? Yeah. Like, oh no! I gotta treat. I gotta train them on how to do this themselves. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Especially while they're so like
0: happy-go-lucky about learning these things about these new stimuli. Are you gonna allow your puppy to jump up on people? Are you gonna allow your puppy to sleep in the bed with you? Um, yes, I am. I mean, sh- my dog sleep with me. Um, counter surfing, right? When, it might be fun and cute when your dog is halfway able to reach up the counter so you hee hee you giggle and you give them things but then now that your dog can fully reach up the counter and maybe you wish you hadn't done that so think about your rules what would you want your big dog to do what don't you want your big dog to do and don't let your puppy do what you wouldn't want your dog to do when they are fully grown all right last one and that's kind of just wrapping up a lot of the different things that we talked about just socialization in general don't force interactions let your puppy make the initiation of interactions and it's always quality of the experience that outweighs the number of the experiences so if your dog is having a negative reaction if they are scared don't force them to meet something instead try to find a way to break down that experience into a more manageable more neutral state create a positive experience from there and then work your way upward. So I think your example of my puppy hears a really loud sound, I give them treats, let them recuperate, I hear, they hear it again, I give them treats, is a way that your dog's experiencing, experiencing something already having a negative reaction, how you could better prepare them to experience that, still get the same long-term effect and maybe still the same end goal, but you didn't have to stress your dog out or startle to begin with by playing that sound on a more muted
1: volume. I think a lot about um, introducing dogs to water with this one. Mm. I think, like, a ton of people just want to toss their dog in and then give them treats while they're in the water. Right. It's way better to start it with, like, a tiny bit of water mm-hmm. and throw a treat into the water and your dog thinks it's their own idea to walk towards it. Mm-hmm. Am I off base at all here? No, not at all.
0: That that kind of went in, into play with, like, the bathtub situation, yeah, the bathtub. right? Um, But that's how I got Sully used to at least getting into a baby pool. Yeah. Um, I first got him into the baby pool, put treats in a dry, empty baby pool. He was yep. cool with that. Then it was like, eh, it's kind of wet but not really – And then still treats. And then just as time went, I put more and more water in. Now he loves baby pools. Does he love getting into a real pool? Nope. He sure does not. But he definitely loves baby pools now at this point. Which is at least for me manageable because that's what a bath is. Cool. Being in a baby pool. Kind of. It's porcelain. And in your bathroom. And slippery. And slippery. And terrifying. If you don't do it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, That's puppy shit. How did that go?
1: uh took a long time
0: took a little bit longer than i expected but we still kept it under an hour especially that first section when i was stupid i think i did not do a good job of of explaining it either (laughs) (laughs) ta-da all right guys see you next time As always, the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on all of our socials. We're on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at puppupandawaysa. Uh, Feel free to leave feedback or ask any questions about this topic or any desired future topics by DMing us on Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Share us with a friend. Uh, And if you're ever so inclined, please feel free to donate. Nothing reinforces me more than money, besides food. And that might be why I get along so well with dogs. (laughs) I hope to see you guys soon.